I felt at the end that like the writers were throwing the fucking Rice Krispies at me. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ricardo Deacon. Hi, my name is Orla McNeilis. And welcome to The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen. We watch it and meet to discuss it. Well, Skype to discuss it because <laughs> you live in fucking Canada now. Yes. But, For non-pandemic uh, reasons. Yes. <laughs> You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's movie was picked by Orla. It is Between the Lines. At the offices of a Boston alternative newspaper, the staff members enjoy a positive and open-minded work environment. Music critic Max <laughs> uses his influence to score dates, while news reporter Harry is dating the lovely Abby, the publication's lead photographer. However, it seems as though their relative carefree days are numbered when the owner of a major publishing company buys the paper, leading to more money but even more changes. Guess who has another meeting with Wheeler Day after tomorrow? You're gonna love this. Who? A Mr. Roy Walsh. Well, that's that. That's what? Who's Walsh? Well, wait a minute, I think we're jumping to conclusions here. Just because Wheeler's meeting with Walsh doesn't mean the paper's gonna be brought out from under us. You wanna bet? This is it, I can tell, and the whole thing makes me sick. Well, will somebody please tell me who he is? He's a rich asshole who goes around buying up papers like ours. If Roy Walsh buys this paper, I'm walking. Me too. Me too. Me too. Everybody in the unemployment line. The movie was directed by Joan Micklin Silver, produced by Raphael D. Silver, written by Fred Barron and David M. Halpern Jr. What a name. Uh, starring John Hurd, Lindsay Cruz, Jeff Goldblum, Gwen Wells, Bruno Kirby, Joe Morton, and Marlou Henner. Uh, music by Stevie Van Zandt from the E Street Band. <laughs> And Michael Kamen of Band of Brothers fame. Cinematography by Kenneth Van Sickle and edited by John Carter from Mars. <laughs> from Mars. So, Orla, why did you pick Between the Lines? Yeah, Joan Micklin Silver is uh, super interesting. She only died, um, I think, on the end of December, I think. Um, and three separate people sent me, including you, sent me an article uh, from Vulture about her. Because there were a lot of very nice um, obituaries written about her. Um, like a lot of people, I had no idea who she was. And then having read all those articles about her, I was like, hmm, this seems like someone I should check out. Um, and it just so happened that Criterion had released Between the Lines. Um, so I started with that. I haven't seen any of her other films, but uh, I definitely want to. And I have been trying to, uh, since the very latent discovery of Agnes Varda. I have been trying to discover more forgotten female directors. Um, not that Agnes Varda is completely forgotten, but particularly ones from this era around the kind of like 70s, because it is my favorite era. Um, but a lot of like those directors like Silver and like Claudia Well as well, who did Girlfriends, um, yeah. ended up, they were kind of relegated by mostly sexism um, to like, 
they were allowed to make a few movies around this time and then ended up kind of being relegated to like TV movies throughout their careers. Um, but Silver, like she was very resilient. Um, her husband was her producer as well, I think. <clears throat> and he was very supportive. Um, and she was able to kind of like stick to her guns and make films that she wanted. Um, like mostly Jewish stories about women. Um, I saw a great quote about her. Um, it is difficult to say which was Miss Silver's most vicious antagonist, anti-Semitism or misogyny. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yes, she had the, the double whammy. Um, I absolutely love this. Um, it definitely feels like an inspiration for Days of Confused and other sort of 90s movies of that ilk, quintessential hangout movie. Um, like some of Days of Confused, the strength of it is kind of in the mix of characters and Everything feels very lived in, I think. Uh, plus the soundtrack, much like Days and Confused, is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> We're having a party Dancing to the music Played by the DJ On the radio Are in the ice box, popcorns on the table. Me and my baby, we're out here on the floor. So it is kind of like a light film in the sense that it kind of skips along. We're never lingering too long in one scene. You know, there's not an awful lot of plot here, but there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of atmosphere. Um, it is obviously a film about journalism as well. Um, and I kept laughing because, like, the idea of people uh, feeling nostalgia for, like, the authenticity of, like, earlier times and that journalism is dead. <laughs> Talking about that in 1977 is kind of funny from, like, a 2021 perspective. There, it's definitely a melancholy film in the way that Dazed and Confused is, where people, like, on the cusp of their 30s, probably destined for marriage and children and suburbia with their counterculture years behind them. It's most characters, not all of them. I can imagine a Jeff Goldblum character continuing on his current path and being that old dude in the corner of the bar. But um, like we do get a, like it's a very transitional time in America as well, like late 70s, like Reagan, Reaganism is just on the horizon. Um, and, you know, we even have our, there's like a pearl clutching lady in the first scene uh, with the guys like going along selling the paper, uh, you get a little like nod to the incoming neoconservatives. Gay notes, drug referrals, abortion hotline, your daughter reading, back bay mainline, just a quarter. There's some great female characters in this. Um, there's a lovely like relationship between the female characters as well, of like um, that feels lived in. <laughs> and them enduring the many losery men around them. This is a very funny time for both cinema and also like women in the workplace and that, you know, women were able to get these kind of jobs and be respected by their peers, but at the same time still have, you know, having to put up with very like egregious levels of workplace sexism, like with or per secretary character, um, Doing that little merry dance of like, <laughs> yeah, you know that time you lay on top of me? 
uh, and Stanley not really getting the point of it and having, you know, her sort of like being very breezy about it. Um, she's a great character as well in that, like her sort of fulfilling her arc at the end of um, by being the only character who sticks to her guns as well, which is kind of enjoyable that they all sort of like just go along with the takeover in the end. And saying that about the female characters, um, <laughs> they do get kind of sold out at the end um, by <laughs> like mostly Abby's character I find kind of annoying because she gets her great lines about like, you know, oh, I'll take, you know, I'll bake bread and take pictures of my bread. <laughs> You know what you want? You want me to follow you off to Woodstock or wherever the hell writers with hay fever go. And you'll be a great writer and I'll bake bread. Maybe I'll get to take pictures of my bread. Maybe I'll get to take pictures of you being a great writer. <laughs> Big fan of Abby, but then the end kind of goes off with Harry anyways, is kind of the implication, which is sort of frustrating. Yeah, she had kind of an interesting career, Silver. Like, by all accounts, this is probably her lightest film and probably not her best. Um, but... <laughs> It is January and um, I, kind of was, I wanted to watch this again because I had such a fun time with it. <laughs> I do want to read, just having touched there on some of the like sexism at the time, I do want to read. There's an IMDb review and oh my god, by a guy who as far as I can tell is actually a film critic and this is from 2017, I think when the film got uh, it's 2K restoration, but uh, he's quoting a, re a review originally written for the Korea Herald in 1978. A film I would like to direct attention away from is Between the Lines. This film by young female director Joan Micklin Silver is enough to stop the women's movement cold and said lady director scurrying back to the kitchen. Verbose to the point of nausea, this treatment of an inherently interesting subject is so inept that it makes you wonder where she ever got the money to finance the film. The answer, of course, is that Miss Micklin had a fairly big hit a couple of years a couple of years back, Hester Street, which was highly overrated but appealed to many. P.S. <laughs> many years later, it might be worth checking out now just to see Jeff Goldblum for his next picture after The Fly. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that was quite interesting that he got his little kitchen line in there. But um, yeah, like... Uh, I thought you could quite possibly hate this, um, but even if you did hate it, <clears throat> there's something quite, oh, like, Jesus, I nearly cried whenever the scene where they're in the bar with the live music and everyone's dancing, and I was like, holy God, like, it, I, like my chest got heavy with it. It was so, like... I miss people, too. I'm just going to leave you with this uh, this quote from uh, Mark Harris, who wrote the the uh, Vulture article about her, where he met her in 2014, asking her what kind of offers she got after the success of uh, the film she made after this. Uh, she smiled and shook her head. There were no offers, she said. It was a moment when bad boy directors ruled Hollywood, and Silver was neither a boy nor bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Ricardo, what did you think of Between the Lines? Well, for one, um, like I have seen uh, Hester Street and I think oh. I, I've seen uh, Chasing the Lancy, that is the movie oh. that she did after this. I hadn't seen Between the Lines. Like I know for sure I watched Hester Street and that's how I got to the article that I knew that she was a good director. I know her a lot from 
reading actor interviews and stuff for like a few years ago i got into like actors talking about theater and stuff and i know that she worked a lot in theater as well and i think that in the criterion uh, collection there's a documentary about her there's mm. like uh john like uh, that'd be interesting i think because as you say the her background is quite interesting and in what happened to her similar to the director that did ishtar the mm. it's like it was a massive flop and when you're a female director you only allowed one yes, hit at it and, and then, then you have people you have to like wait 15 years before you're allowed to make another film or well like ever. i think that she never got another chance to do a feature film she ended up working in tv which is not necessarily mm-hmm. like not shitting on tv but it's not what the career pa- her chosen career path was let's say and um, probably not what would have happened to her if she was a man uh in saying that uh i like I didn't particularly hate this movie, but I didn't partic <laughs> like in theory I like like when you're talking about the movie. I thought we may have this issue. <laughs> see, like there's a a few problems that I have with it that are quite elemental. Let's say like um, like I I like the parts of the vibe or whatever, but like you know, hangout movies are highly episodic, and I mm. think that it doesn't do enough in every tangent that it goes. And when it works, it works really well. When it doesn't, it doesn't, let's say. Um, I would agree with that. I think part of it is like that the writing doesn't know if it wants to be like realistic or not. So you have times that they're like really talking about like that tonally the movie, like half of it is shot and written like if it is like a drama about the end of the counterculture and etc and the other half seems to be ripped out of a national lampoon movie and there's <laughs> even like a, a cameo by the editor of national lampoon at the time yeah. and i think that like the guy that is like the the ad worker or whatever that is like the creepo uh, and the guy that lives underneath that it's almost like a John Belushi-esque character, the guy that sells <laughs> the papers and lives under the pinball machine. It's yeah. a little bit too... Cute. Cute and realistic, etc. And then I think that uh you have i think it's michael the name of the character like the the guy uh, the guy that gets uh, the book deal yeah he's just written like oh my god like i think that he's too <laughs> unsufferable you know what i mean like it's not <laughs> like um, he's fun to hate though <laughs> yeah but at the same time is that like there is a certain level that uh everybody um still hangs out with him in a way and is mm. friends with him and they're not like particularly distasteful of him they're like you know like even yeah, Abby... Jeff Goldblum is Cork can I have a scotch rock do you have any money Laura <laughs> what a carefree life the guy leads it's a good thing that uh, Laura has two jobs that's at least all. I work what do you ever do when you've been picking up a paycheck for years you don't do a damn thing you don't think that's work yeah, but that Jeff Goldblum seems to be the safer of everybody until like he has to defend your man's life or whatever at the end because mm-hmm. he puts him in the in the position. The so strange that side story as well. Your man that plays uh, Bruno Kirby is his name. Mm-hmm. Like he, 
I remember him for two movies. He plays he's in uh, the Godfather. Yeah, Godfather <laughs> two. He plays young Bonacera, but he's also the Robin Williams's boss in Good Morning Vietnam. And oh. uh, he plays him exactly like this. He's like, uh, I think the the which is one of the issues with Good Morning Vietnam, that he's like way too out there compared to the rest of the movie. The idea of being too out there in a film with Robin Williams is kind of funny. <laughs> I did laugh quite a bit how him and uh, Jeff Goldblum in this movie are pretty much modern hipsters. Like the way that he cycles and has the, the satchel, uh, yes. the trade shirt yes. and everything. The hair, the feathered hair. It did very much make me think of Bernstein, though, with the with his his uh, bicycle wheel at his desk as well, which is quite funny. Very seventies. Reading through a few reviews because, like, uh, I seem to be in the minority when it comes to this movie. Um, but yeah. like, it wasn't like a big criticism. I think it's in the review for um, the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, yeah, I think I read that as well that they mentioned the idea that um, everybody's pining for a past, like, but we have no way to hold on to that past. To, to see it, because, yeah, we haven't experienced it. So we're, like, <laughs> seeing it through their, but their it, eyes. But even, like, when they say it, it's not specific. You know, like, the, there's, like, mm. one moment that the scene actually works. That is when... Uh, Laura, I think, is the name of the character. Yeah. It's going to oh, Harry's. She finds the, photograph, uh, yeah. the office on Hanover Street. Look, there's Max. Yeah. I don't remember him being there then. Oh, sure. He was there. He was there when I was there, right from the very start. And look at this. This is you. You look really happy there. I was. I loved it then. And then there's like photographs of the paper back in the day, but you don't even know why the paper was disruptive how it became like you, mm. and even by the time that you, we get there uh, when they're like actually talking about specifics it's already too late like you're already just like if it had started you take in their way, word for it I yeah guess. and it's the thing that i suppose when you mentioned the uh, dazed and confused that it doesn't have like dazed and confused is dealing with an experience that everybody has had yeah. which yeah. like everybody has finished high school or if they haven't yet they know that's coming along but like not everybody went through the end of counterculture counterculture <laughs> you feel that these people have a past but sometimes it's a little too you can't quite grasp it if you know what i mean so it doesn't quite feel um completely manufactured or like movie but at times i kind of know what you mean it's almost everything that is shot on location uh, like in the bars and in mm. the streets and stuff it has like uh, more lived in feel and it feels I don't know, like, uh, it's not as noticeable when they're, like, in the paper that is clearly, like, a set. Mm. And it's shot, like, it feels like, uh, it's shot like a sex comedy. That's why it made me think of, like, National Lampoon, you know, this, like, <laughs> flat lighting. Soapy. And even though, like, you can see that, like, Max is clearly, like, a prototype for John Cusack and um, high fidelity <laughs> and stuff. Like, that idea of music yes. critic and stuff. Uh and I like Jeff Goldblum's performance because it's so specific. Um, 
and likable in a way that is like it's the thing that I, I was ma- mentioning about like Michael Powell I think it's his name the guy that plays uh, the um, the guy that gets the book deal who's also mm. in All the President's Men who is he in All the President's Men he's the guy that whistle blows that he oh my god he's, he stands yeah oh my god he stands how did I not make that connection that's so funny I literally rewatched All the President's Men. I did my annual rewatch recently as well. That's so funny. <laughs> He's playing such a different character here. That's hilarious. And like, uh, I've, uh, I, I've been watching Shit's Creek as well. And uh, oh. uh, between watching Shit's Creek and watching this and other movies, like it makes me so pissed off that Home Alone as a movie existed because... It completely uh, ruined the career, even though I'm sure that they made a fortune out of it. But it ruined the career of John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara because both of Mm. them then just became typecasted as the parents. Worried mom. (laughs) Yeah, like uh, Catherine O'Hara is like an amazing uh, comedian. And mm. fucking John Hurd used to be like in movies like Cutter's Cutter's Way, Cutter's Choice the like uh he'd be like the badass 1970s kind of like like in this movie you know like the the guy you know like and then he became the dad uh, <laughs> like uh, with uh, this movie like i i i think it's the type of movie that i wish i liked more let's say it's the i suppose yeah. that it's like it sometimes happens i know that like even critics mention it that sometimes you because you're watching a movie with a different set of eyes that like if I was just sitting down to watch it without having to really think about it, I might have liked it more. But I, I, I doubt it because all the flaws for me, like it just jumped out. It's that kind mm. of movie that is like scene by scene. There are scenes that really, really work and then scenes that really don't. So it's kind of... I don't know, like, even shit about, like, the selling of the newspaper doesn't really make a difference because I thought that it was, like, very badly incorporated into the movie itself. Um, Mm. One is that you had that ridiculous dream scene that, like, he goes and fucking shoots him with, like, uh, (laughs) like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Why did he put his clothes in the fridge? I will never understand that. I think that the clear example is that scene whenever Laura comes home after being to the shop and Michael goes off on her and they have an <laughs> argument. Rice checks. And I'm like, yeah, like you, it's kind of like what they just put everything into this one scene when every individually everything was like each moment was enough of a scene to go he's a dickhead it's like yeah he comes home she, she comes home and he's like what time do you call this uh where were you etc and it's like okay if you only left it there he's already a dickhead but on top of that then he's like stop talking to me i'm working here <laughs> so it's like okay if you just left it at that he's a dickhead <laughs> Then she's like, oh, can you walk the dog? She's your dog. And it's like, no, it's your turn or whatever. And I was like, okay. She, he's a dickhead. And then he starts fucking throwing food at her. And fucking like, it's like, 
why did you put all of the things in the scene? Like, you know, like, it's just like yeah. pressing it down and down. It's like, I felt at the end that like the writers were throwing the fucking Rice Krispies at me, not just at, at Laura, the character. And I think that there's a tendency in that scene, to, like in the movie to be that way, you know, that is like mm. Abby and Harry or uh, their relationship that they're not going to work. Okay, let's make this like over and over and over. Then you don't understand why they would even try to be together kind of thing. Yeah. Or even why Laura would be with Michael. Because like when they're in public, he's a dickhead to her. And when they're home, he's a dickhead to her. And yeah. it's not like she doesn't have uh, an internal life or a career path that she wants to follow and agency as well like when you see her in other scenes it makes sense but it's like where are you you know yeah i i kind of get what you mean because um if he had just if they just tempered him a bit more it would have been so much better because like <laughs> so many aspects of his character it's like you know, everyone has dated that guy, you know, <laughs> but like no one has dated that guy, though, because he's it's too far. And she has like she does have too much agency as a character and as a person in her other relationships. So it just it seems like too much. And also even like, though like like the performance, he does his performance is fine, but and it's 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 too much. It's like cranked up. Something that Alex mentioned that is like she thought she goes halfway through the movie. I thought that this movie was going to be about newspapers. <laughs> and, and I think that that's the root problem of the movie altogether, because I think it takes it becomes like 80 percent about the relationships and 20 percent about the paper. But mm. within the relationships, all they talk about is the paper. So I think that if there was a way that like, as you were saying, like another rewrite or something that it'd be because the best scene in the movie by a country mile is the scene when they're interviewing the stripper in the strip club, Mm -hmm. because you're grabbing both worlds and they're both working together to it shows how Abby deals with like women and how Harry deals with women, their viewpoints. That's of... a real character also. <laughs> exactly. Like the, obviously like for the seventies it had to be directed by a woman for this to to happen. You Danielle, how did you get into stripping? I don't know. I just sort of drifted into it. Do you find your work glamorous? Glamorous? No way. I mean, this isn't my idea of glamorous. What's your idea of glamorous? Uh, Jacqueline Onassis. Yeah. (laughs) All those clothes and everything. Oh, your costumes are terrific. Where do you get them? My mother makes them. You're kidding. (laughs) When you first got started. I mean, does it turn you on? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes when I think about all the men and, you know, I'm up there and I'm the most important thing on their minds. Yeah, what do you think about when you're up there? Excuse me. Sorry. Abby, can I talk to you for a second about the photography? Excuse us. Sure. Um, this film is actually in its entirety in very low quality on YouTube. Um, but there, I was looking at the comments and uh, someone had commented that so that the stripper, um, I think was she, she was famous, I think. But I can't remember why, but uh, commenting that. So she's wearing pasties in the scene 
that uh that uh she's in where she's doing her like she's doing her actual dance to a great song um and the guy commented being like i hate whenever actresses and he's like that was very like that's so unusual for 1977 i hate whenever actresses don't commit Oh, Jesus. As in that she's wearing pasties. I downvoted it. It's the only time I've ever done that on a comment. But I was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> you I just I wanted to see the nipples. Free the nipples. There's another stripper immediately afterwards. Also, there's loads of boobs in this. I was like, "Fuck off!" I, was like, I hate when actresses don't commit. It's like, yeah, fuck that bitch. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, like in a Harry I, has I, I two sex to... scenes that he doesn't go full front on either. Like. <laughs> Yeah, so fuck yourself. I, I grip him with the back to the kitchen comment guy. Uh, also, fun fact, the guy who wrote it um, was one of these characters, basically. So he had experience and uh, I can't remember what alternative weekly he worked for, something like this with the Village Voice. Um, but he said in, in like various interviews that he was uh, he was the Jeff Goldblum character. <laughs> so, like He was that guy, which I think probably makes a lot of sense why the other male characters are are written with such obvious scorn. <laughs> it's like this dude clearly knew these people. <clears throat> the two best scenes by Country Mall is the uh, the aforementioned scene in the strip club, and the scene when the uh, conceptual artist comes in <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Goldblum starts wrecking the place. I like. If you told me before watching this movie, because like there's no characters that, that share the, the two scenes. If you told me that those two scenes were in the same movie, like if you just randomly showed those two scenes to somebody and goes, do you think these are from the same movie or from different movies? I don't think anybody in their right mind would say these are from the same movie. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, I do think that, like, considering the, the the subject matter of this of like regional paper or like old week there or whatever, and how they're that they're in such crisis now, like even more than they were in the seventies and eighties, and that people are finally realizing what a loss that is to like <laughs> democracy, realistically. Um, but I don't think this film would convince anybody of their merit <laughs> either. So it's like. <laughs> Well, like, to be honest, I think that the for what the movie is trying to talk about in general, I think the not necessarily the the biggest misstep that it does, but I think that it would have been more interesting to have it as set in the in the early seventies or at the end of the war, if anything. Mm. Like, consider that the war ended like three years before this movie came out. They could have like literally like. The so-called war is over. They won. There's no soldiers going anymore to Vietnam. Like, supposedly Nixon is gone. All these things, you know. Supposedly he lives on. Yeah. Uh, in all of us. But I don't know. Like, that, then you could feel that sense of transition that the movie is trying to to reach, you know. That is like, mm. what do you do with your life whenever you defeat, you know. I, I wish that the movie had committed itself to be either like a screwball comedy kind of, you know, like 1940s mm. kind of like maybe like My Girl Friday, but his less problematic uh, because I, <laughs> I, I, I rewatched his Girl Friday the other day and I was like, oh, this film hasn't aged up. well at all. Oh, no. Like, um, 
very very uh bad politics let's say mm-hmm. but <laughs> when it comes to it it's like oh yeah let's just make it like a complete screwball comedy and then like center around like one new story you know like for all the bad things that the paper had i liked that it was like uh it was following like one story and that story was kind of reflecting what the characters were doing like my bigger Mm -hmm. issue with the paper was that it ended with a fist fight between glenn klaus and michael (laughs) keaton and like in a printing oh, I press it's so stupid but, <laughs> but what i mean is that at least like the, Stop the presses the bit that actually works is exactly <laughs> what doesn't work in this movie that it like it uses like a separate like a separate kind of event to contextualize everybody's relationship with each other and mm. it's the weird thing is that i liked between the lines more than i liked the paper but I think the paper has a better script than between the lines. <laughs> I don't know. Is that like, like maybe tonally and because of the direction and like, as you said, it's like a pleasant company, this movie. It doesn't make it all together. You know, egregious. Egregious. I think that is a movie that <laughs> I enjoy despite of itself rather than because it is good. Like, it's almost that, like, I begrudgingly went, like, yeah, I enjoyed it. But it's kind of like I sat there at the end of the movie and I turned to Alex and go, like, what did you think? And she's like, yeah, I liked it. And I was like, yeah, I feel rather whelmed. But when I think about it, I can't think of a single thing that I liked, like, entirely. That, like, if you take the music off, even the cinematography, it's hit or miss. Even the direction mm-hmm. and the performances there, like really weird little moments like you you said about like when he puts the the clothes in the fridge or like this this moment that he kind of leans against his glass door and it's like like bangs off like the actor going like i need a beat here and nobody on set could figure out what to do so he just does like this really awkward thing that he can't really lean against the door because the door would close otherwise so it's like oh just like put my arm very gently against the door and kind of sigh troubled yeah things that like are mentioned is like oh yeah he's a hypochondriac and then it's like never mentioned again you know like no, she does later she says uh wherever writers with hay fever go <laughs> also whenever he goes to the fridge his fridge is covered in medication so it is they do kind of like that's in there um yeah but it doesn't yeah, really yeah. affect his character and supposedly i don't know like it, it just feels like <laughs> I kind of liked that, um, mostly because it gives Abby so many great lines, and I really loved Abby. Um, I liked Abby, but, uh, like, but I think it's like I really liked the performance, not the writing. Mm, and I think it's she's like fantastic. Yeah. What was your your favorite thing? Um, the performances, I'd say. Like, I think that mm. um, everybody does. Um, as much as they can with what they're given, I suppose. And uh, and you went so downhill; it was quite funny. <laughs> no, but I suppose it's part of the direction, also. That like, like she's always been good with actors. Like, uh, well, like mm. not always. Like, considered that I definitely have seen one movie, perhaps two, but I remember the like the performances on 
what I've seen of her work is they're really good, really lived in kind of performances. Um, mm -hmm. And if you take out the quote unquote comic relief characters in this movie, um, they're very like well-rounded performances. Uh, like the problem there is like really the, the writing, you know, like the, mm -hmm. like uh, even that scene that I mentioned of Michael, like, uh, blowing the lid kind of thing is that if he had been just in that scene and then the next scene is like I left the cunt then you know I'd be like oh yeah that was a really good scene the problem is that then you have to kind of like have sympathize with the guy afterwards and I'm like no <laughs> you know like um, no that's a rice check too far <laughs> for that I like I appreciated all of them and I think like Gabby in particular is like I think that is the best performance in the movie yeah like I even like this like the scenes when it really hits off that like even when Max is trying to get a raise and stuff and <laughs> yeah he's the most Jeff Goldblum of all the Jeff Goldblums uh and yet such a baby he really reminded me of uh what you call Ezra Miller yeah um, like the kid from We Need to Talk About Kevin and uh he's yeah, he's he's so like gangly and it's quite funny. He also kinda looks a little bit like Adam Driver. Yeah, um, I, at times. And it doesn't surprise me that they cast him in the big chill in honor of this movie, I think. Uh, because yes. I think Laurie Kasdan liked this this movie. Uh like mm -hmm. the big chill is one that, again another movie that I like despite itself. It's like <laughs> What's your favorite thing? Um, I do really love the performances. I love Abby. Uh, but it is probably the scene in the strip club. Um, I just I love everything about it. I love the interaction between Abby and uh, and uh, what's her name as well. Um, it's it's so short, but very sweet. Um, and like <laughs> could have gone so badly um, and yet didn't. <laughs> Um, yeah, I need to look more into that actress. Um, I also loved her hair. I kind of loved everything about well, her. Well, like, uh, <laughs> I, I liked her, but, like, she w doesn't commit, so. Same with Abby, like, they're the two actresses mm -hmm. that didn't fucking show enough skin, I think. That's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I like to see flesh. I am absolutely joking, by the way, everybody, like, uh, <laughs> just as a qualifier. Um, <laughs> what was your least favorite thing? I think it's like the the missed opportunity, I suppose, because like if you mm. when I read the synopsis about it, uh, like I'm not necessarily like some like I haven't usually I go cold into movies, but just this one I had to like, I don't know, like I was looking for the movie uh you broke the rules it's okay just imagine. yeah like uh, and <laughs> like what the synopsis was for the movie and like one of the reviews and stuff and then when i reread the article on her that i sent you i was like oh mm -hmm. this movie seems like so much more interesting than what it actually is kind of thing and i think that i don't know i i wanted Wanted more. Like, I, it's completely unfair on the movie to want something that the movie is not. You know what mm. I mean? I wish that she had herself done the movie that I wanted to watch. If you get me, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, 
part of it is like again that's like if it was more focused using if there was like more of a focus on one thing still being like a hangout movie but i think the mm-hmm. best hangout movies have like a subtext sp- not only subtext have like something to uh like a a rack that you can hang on the 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 fucking <laughs> wire hangers on or whatever it is because if you have even like before sunrise and before sunset you have the fact that there's like an end point to this time, time. Yeah. so you know that every moment that you spend with the characters you're like one moment closer for them to separate so like it's this almost ticking bomb of a plot device the sale of the newspaper could have been it but it's kind of like mm. it's mentioned it's in the beginning enough. and then mentioned at the end like there's no the characters trying to like find another buyer convince the current publisher try to like maybe write more like increase the circulation so they don't have to sell etc 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 but but overall i did like the movie so it's kind of even though I'm complaining more than anything, is that <laughs> what's your least favorite thing? Um, I think it's kind of the, the missing connective tissue. I think um, because as you're saying, like individually, I kind of love all the little vignettes, other than the like, you know, overdone coupley bits. But um, uh, they're not quite connected enough through the themes and things like it's but at the same time it doesn't ruin it for me I think I let it away with it more than you do um but at the same time what did we do recently where I felt similar where something that was just just almost there but not quite (laughs) it's like underbaked or something um I find like this is something that happens with documentaries a lot as well where they just they needed an they needed either extra time or something or an extra they needed an extra person to just look at it and go hold on a second you know and like you're you want you want the film to succeed so much because so much of it that's there is good and like definitely one part of that is like how she works with actors but also like she was clearly a t- good talent spotter as well considering how many of the actors who were in this who then became like um, bigger stars but, um, I think probably the one like, that you're referring to is um, the young girls are rocker for. Yeah, actually, yeah, because that one felt really disappointing as well because it like almost not almost converted me to musicals, but I I loved it a lot more than any other musical I'd seen in a long time. So I was like, if they just you know, and it's like frustrating because and kind of what you said as well that if you if you just sort of watch something uh, on like a Friday night and you're not really thinking about it too much, you know, it, you can enjoy things more sometimes with films. Like it's like we watched um, The Hunt for Red October just like randomly one day and like that film is just, <laughs> there's like it's so stupid but like very enjoyable because it's so stupid and like the whole, you know, it it, it feels less problematic than like modern um iterations of um jack ryan as well and like the weird cia again <laughs> like cia propaganda that, but uh I'm, I'm glad that um that 
like particularly the scenes that I really love in this that you also liked. Um, but at the same time, like I, I totally get all your your, your criticism. Um, I thought I thought it was, I was quite impressed though that you'd seen more of her movies because I was so unaware of her and to my utter shame. <laughs> yeah, like is the like the chasing the Lancy like well like uh, <laughs> like unfortunately she doesn't have that many other movies uh, yeah. like. Um, like the the first movie that she did, uh, I really enjoyed it. I think I there was um, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a book that I read that was like about first indie movies that were uh, not really taught on film school. That whenever yeah. you went, you'd like you'd learn about like Jim Jarmusch or you'd learn about Kevin Smith the or boys. whatever, like you know, but. But it's not even like just Jim about... Jarmusch and Kevin Smith. But you know, like what I mean about like yeah. the, the like Richard Linklater and stuff like that. Mm. It's like the guys that just went off and made a movie. Mm. And she's similar. That is like super micro budget. And she the... had no film training either. Like she just sort of went and did it. And I think it's the um, that book. Jesus, I will have to to find it because there, there were like a couple other movies that I watched. That were quite interesting for even watching like um, Scorsese's first movies. Mm. That people keep like the tendency is to think that Scorsese's first movie is fucking Main Street. Main Street. But he made a ton of movies before Main Street and they're all awful. But in an <laughs> intri- but they're awful. The seed is there. <laughs> yeah, but they're often in an interesting way because each one you can see him learning the lessons from each one. And mm. then, like, when Ming Streets comes in, it's like, oh, he le- he learned <laughs> kind of thing. It's very impressive kind of thing. But, um, That's film school in its, in its own there. <laughs> I think that this episode has been uh, as full of tangents as the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that was Between the Lines, uh, the movie where there is nothing between the lines. So where can they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter at The Rec Game. The email is TheRecommendationGame at gmail.com. And uh, you can listen to us every Monday, 11 to 12 on Dublin Digital Radio. Sorry, every second Monday. Yeah, so uh, next week's film is Ricardo's pick. What are you picking? I'm picking uh, Stories We Tell. Finally. Again. (laughs) She gets mentioned every, like, five movies or something. Awesome. Well, until then, I was Orda McGuinness. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next time. (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) 